Welcome to the practical podcast for technical people who want to start their own company. From founding to building your business, we're here to help. I'm Sean Hemel. And I'm Harris Kenny. This is the Hello Blink Show. Well, we're excited to be joined today by a prolific hardware engineer for a live brainstorming session. Darian Johnson is working on a new product that's been in development for three years, and we're going to touch on that, but it's actually not why he's here today. He's here to talk about his next project, how to fund it, how to commercialize it, and we're going to take his questions. Thank you, Harris. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for having me. Darian, welcome to the show. We're going to start off with something, a little bit of a curveball. A lot of our listeners have kids, myself included. I've got an almost five-month-old now. And I saw a tweet of yours around the holidays that I wanted to mention because I love the story. I'm going to read it really quick. You can follow Darian on Twitter at Darian B. Johnson. So the tweet is, so I told my oldest son, parentheses 12 years old, that I wouldn't buy him a TV for his bedroom, but that he was welcome to, quote, make a TV for himself. I gave him two hints. One, everything you need is already in the house. And two, Google Raspberry Pi and TV. Should be an interesting holiday break, dot, dot, dot. So Darian, how did this project go? Tell us about it. What advice do you have for listeners who want to encourage their children in STEM? And we're going to talk about your work next, but I just thought this was so great. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks for uh, um, <laughs> thanks for bringing it up. So yes, I have four kids and my son is third in line. He's 12. And they always see me working on things. They always see, they always ask questions. Um, early when I started, I did a lot of contests and they liked that part, but I, I don't do too many of those anymore. Anyway, um, he wanted a TV for his uh, for his birthday, or for Christmas, I think. Yeah, for Christmas. And I was like, dude, I'm not buying you a TV. You're 12, you don't need a TV. But I've got plenty, I've got thousands of dollars of electronics in this house and you're welcome to any and all of it. So yeah, I'm going to give you these parts and Google this and just see what you can find. And for maybe a week, he was super duper into it. Like he was, we were looking at stuff. He wrote all these notes. Um, it was great. Uh, he, he lost interest after a while because the TV was too small. Um, but, uh, but it was a great exercise. And the TV's working. It's, it's got, you know, Netflix queued up in the corner. And every once in a while, here I will look at it. But it was a good experience. It was really fun. And so is that ag- actively something that you're encouraging? Do they have a natural interest? Where, where's that balance? You know, I, I would love for my children to be makers and to be engineers. I, uh, I, I made things growing up, not, not to the level I do now. I got an engineering degree, a mechanical engineering degree. And for me, it was just kind of a, an opening to just the world. And I kind of want them to do the same thing, but they've got their own hobbies. One sews a lot, one... Uh, is into rock climbing. My youngest just likes to play outside. Like, it's okay. Like, whatever they like is fine. But I love it if they did more engineering stuff. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. And you can only push them so much. Yeah, and if you want, you want to make it fun, right? I want them to, to, it should be practical. I believe in practical engineering, right? Learning, you know, F equals MA or whatever for the sake of learning, it doesn't mean anything. But seeing something move, like seeing engineering, physics in action, that's, to me, when it gets interesting. Yeah, that's really cool. So tell us about this uh, this project you're working on or the, or the one that's about to go live. Yeah. As you mentioned, I, um, I'm a hardware maker, hardware engineer. I've worked, worked on a number of different projects over the last five or six years. One of them was a smart candle. I came up with the idea because I was looking to light a candle in my house. 
and I couldn't find a match. And, and I realized that like, this is really stupid. Like I can control the lights with my voice because I have smart devices in my home, but a simple candle, like I should be able to control a candle with my voice. And as I did more research, I realized, well, not a lot of them exist. And the ones that exist are kind of cheap looking. Like, what if we made, I made a, a real candle with real wax. I put electronics in it and I added a, a wax warmer so that it would emit a smell and yada, yada, yada. So prototyped some things, came up with an idea, got some partners involved. We ended up forming a company. We all have day jobs and all of us love our day jobs. So I, I, don't, I don't know if we're leaving our day jobs for this, but there was something fun to do. Three-year journey. We've learned a lot along the way. Spent some money, made some mistakes, but um, but I'd say a few months ago we finalized our conceptual prototype. We got a crowdsourcing video filmed, and we are going to launch that. I'd say in the next month or so. We're just finalizing some some copy and some media. Really excited about that. It's called the the uh, Pillar Trio Smart Candle. So it looks like a candle, acts like a candle, smells like a candle, feels like a candle. Kind of our, our motto. Um, and, and we're we're excited. We're really excited. We're hoping that it does well. It does great. If not, you know, we've learned a lot and we'll move on to the next thing. So that's what where I spent most of my time. And then I started thinking about what comes after that. Uh, but I realized I wanted to do something simpler. Uh, so candles are hard. And creating a candle with real wax means you've got one manufacturer for creating the candle, pouring wax. You've got another manufacturer for creating your injection molding. You've got electronics that have to sit both in the base and in the candle. It just, it's a complicated engineering feat. And uh, it's, got, it's got a wax warmer, so it's got to be uh, insulated properly, yada, yada, yada. Uh, I said, okay, cool. Don't want to do anything that complicated for the next project. Um, and I started playing around with some ideas, and I realized I really wanted to do something as a bit of a love letter to the open source community. Like I built the smart candle based off of open source and designs, you know, looking at a lot of stuff from SparkFun, a lot of stuff from Adafruit, just a lot of designs. And I, and I really wanted to contribute something back. I didn't think the candle was the right idea because I had, was in a partnership with two others. And, um, but I thought this, this other idea made sense. It's a smart display. So a battery-powered smart display that sit on a desk or sit on a mirror or something in a refrigerator, similar to the uh, Adafruit bag tank. So if anyone's mm-hmm. familiar with that, it's their e-ink device. It's battery powered. Um, so something similar to that, but I wanted to use a, a like a, a low powered LCD smart memory display so that I had better response time. I wanted to build firmware and software to integrate it with the cloud so that you could, you could open it up and automatically get access to your calendar or your fitness information or, or whatever else. Um, just make it easy to use, but hackable in open source. So I'm down that path. That's kind of my own private thing. And I'm trying to figure out how I share this with the world. It's one thing for me to build a prototype and a series of prototypes. It's another thing to make it available. What's the best way for me to do that? The pillar candle made more sense. That's a, that's probably going to go either Indiegogo or Kickstarter because we're starting to a large consumer audience. This I'm initially building for just for makers. It might go farther than makers, but I really want to sell to people like me who kind of want to play around with hardware. So I'm trying to figure out how the heck do I do that without spending a lot of money. Ah, okay, that makes sense. So it's completely different audiences. Maybe not completely, but it really is two different audiences. Yes. Um, and you mentioned Indiegogo or Kickstarter, which is more of that broad consumer audience. Um, I, I'm curious so far, what has been your experience? Because that's something we've not talked about on the show yet, is what has been your experience with um, crowdsourcing stuff? I mean, can you give us like a two-minute like yay, nay, or it's been hell but good? It's, I mean, it's a, it's a yay for us, for, for me, mm-hmm. at least initially, but maybe not a yay for everybody. But for us, 
because of the complexity of the device and the need to get molds for our injection molding, crowdsourcing is the way to raise that capital without adding additional funds. So we were able to, to bootstrap the first round, but we can't scale without having you know some of the mechanisms that crowdsourcing gives us. So it's right for that. I think if we had something simpler that was easier to manufacture and make, maybe crowdsourcing isn't the right the right avenue. But for us and for this for this one, it was the right right decision. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. And from that, do you have marketing materials that you've put together over the last three years? Do you have a following, an audience of people who will be coming into that? Or are you relying on the crowdsourcing platform to do that for you? Great point. We're looking to do both, which is why we've delayed our launch. So we are update our website was good, but needed more work. We took it offline. We've been we've been editing it. And then we've been lining up kind of some 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 influencers to help us with this, right? Nice. So not, and not like we don't have, you know, we don't have the Kardashians that want to talk about our candle or anything. Not that they would be the right, no, nothing against the Kardashians, not, maybe not right for us. But, um, but we do have some people who have a following that, you know, have been willing to talk about our product. So we're going to hopefully get that, that kicked off here in the next month, um, try to build a bit of a campaign, collect emails, and then launch our campaign and, and run it for four weeks and see where we go. Perfect. It sounds like you're getting all your ducks in a row because um, I've seen a lot of people who are like, how come my my Kickstarter campaign didn't do anything? I'm like, well, did you come in with an audience? And they're like, no, it, it generates an audience. You're like, no, no, no it does not. <laughs> <laughs> it does not. It does not. Um, it does not. Yeah, it does not. So we're uh, we'll, we'll see. Look, I'm excited about the product. Hopefully others will be. And if it if it sells great, if not, well, we learned a lot and we'll know more for the next thing. Yeah. And you still have a full-time job. So that's really impressive that yes. you've launched a product while still having a full-time job. That, that is the one thing. We we underestimated the amount of time. Our thought was, we can get this done in six months. It's been three years. And it's, look, my partners and I, we're, we're, we've had full-time jobs. We have kids. One of us has grandkids, not me, one of the other guys. Like we, we like we're, We've all got life that we're doing. So we're trying to do this in weekends and, and open spots. And, you know, that takes some time but it's okay. So let's jump over to that uh, open source project that you're talking about, giving back to the maker community. Um, so I know you want to ask us some questions, so I want to seed it by asking you a few questions about this, or or at least giving you some backstory, because one of the things that, that I did when I used to work for SparkFun, and I apologize if anybody's listening who's had to have me tell them no, I would go to events, I would travel to events with some people like like Pierce, uh, Pete Doctor, and a few others, and we would invariably have a number of people to seek us out, um, because SparkFun and Adafruit were kind of the two maker companies at the time, right? I'm, I'm talking like 2014, 2015, right? The, the, we, we, were the, we were the hot kids in town that everybody wanted to do business with to get into the maker market, right? And so invariably, we'd go to CES, and we'd have people like, oh, let's get a meeting, and they would come and they'd have this product, and they're like, can you help us make and sell this? And we'd have to be like, I mean, it looks neat, but we can't. And the reason we can't is not because it isn't a cool thing, but because SparkFun controls their margins. And unless it's something that fits in with their ecosystem, um, it didn't make sense for us just to be somebody's contract manufacturing slash distribution slash marketing channel. Um, so I, I had we had to tell people like 99% of the people we had to be like, we can't. I'm sorry, this is not something we can take on. And the only exception to that is when like like Raspberry Pi or Intel or Arduino would say like, we've got a new board coming out because that is like such core to our business, we'd have to listen. 
Um, every now and then something slick would come along and we'd be like, this is kind of neat or this is unique and sure. But like that was a 1% thing. However, that being said, there's now a lot of avenues for these maker open source type projects, um, to get out there such as, um, I was going to say Indiegogo and that's, that's not right. Uh, Tindy. Um, is a marketplace for these types of projects. Um, it's a good marketplace, but they don't they don't solve the marketing problem for you. It's just a place for people to go. Like you can put your product on there, and it handles the sales side. And in fact, they don't even handle distribution. So you still you still have manufacturing and distribution and marketing to take care of. Um, there are other sites, so like Seed and Cyber City Circuits. They are capable of manufacturing, handling distribution maybe some sales if you're really nice to them as part of their their newsletter. So that's another possibility is you can approach somebody like Cyber City Circuits and say, hey, can you help manufacture this and help with the distribution? And you can work out a deal with them where they handle all that for you and you get a royalty. So that's one possibility. Or you can you know, have it manufactured overseas, ship it, store it in your basement and ship it out of your house when somebody buys it from your own website. It depends on how much control and how much work you want to do versus how much royalties you plan to get from that. So we have a lot more options these days for these kinds of things. The flip side is it's now what we in the marketing world like to call red ocean. There's a lot of sharks going after this thing. And how do you differentiate your product, your brand from everybody else's thing on Tindy? Yes, exactly. I, I yes, I, and that's where I am. Like, where do Darian Johnson, the individual guy who's built something kind of cool that he wants to share with the world, not looking to you know, not looking to revelation new new product, but just looking to to see you know to share what's the best avenue? Is it something like a Tindy where I need to make the units and then be responsible for selling? That's fine, but then like then I got to come up with like the money to build the units, and it's not a, a complex thing. I think our buy bombs maybe $25, so higher than I want, but the display is the, the most expensive. Um, mm-hmm. So then I got to build that. But then I control what I sell it for and, and there's no cut from anyone else or a limited cut. Or I could do something crowdsourcing. So there's there's group gets, there's something, there's um, crowd supply. That's another option as well. You know, as well. I, I, just, I just don't know what's right. And for a limited run, um, 250 to 500 units. Well, what is the right, what's the right avenue? What's the right thing for me? And I don't know what you guys have seen, right? As you talk to people, what, what, what do makers, how do makers start? They're looking to build something small, you know, for a maker community. How do they, you know, what avenues do they follow? Does that question make sense? It's a really, it does make sense. It's a really important question. So there's something that's been increasing in popularity in the SaaS world software as a service world where, you know, this idea of like building in public and to the point where, you know, I've seen people put up a landing page, like before they write a single line of code, maybe even before they buy a domain, maybe they just buy a domain and they just say, Hey, you know, does this sound interesting to you? You know, and sort of like start collecting contact information immediately for like email addresses or followers on Twitter or whatever. And the idea is like, Basically, you end up having these sort of alternating cycles between sales slash marketing and uh, development, R&D, building the product, where you're sort of increasingly step-by-step validating that there is interest and appetite. And when you sort of see that signal, plus you follow your gut, okay, now I take the next step. Just briefly, this is basically what I've been doing with IntroCRM and, you know, where I I sense this thing where a lot of my clients, like, they don't use their CRM. 
they don't use HubSpot. It's just too big and too complicated. So I'm like, okay, well, I have this idea getting involved in some communities like indie hackers or microconf on Slack. And in the case of hardware, you know, there's a lot of communities to get involved. And so I think that would be one potential way, which is like you, maybe you share some source, you know, that's on GitHub. Maybe you post about it on social media. Maybe you send like a prototype board out to somebody and that before you go out and make 250 or 500, a purchase like that, you sort of incrementally test the market and you use those signals to, because you have a full-time job, you know, you don't necessarily have to like try to force this forward. That might be one way, but it would slow things down a lot. Right. But you start marketing like from day zero would be one way. That's what I say. I always tell people that like, if you're not marketing, you're already too late. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've been thinking a lot about that. Um, like, how do I tell people? About how do I, you know, get it out there? You know, uh, what, what's the right avenue? And I, I don't know if I've solved that. You know, that problem just yet. Um, I'm still solving engineering problems um, and, and firmware problems. But, uh, but I, think it's not I guess this idea of sending, you know, starting, you know, starting out with source code, starting out with an idea, that sounds interesting, but it's also a little fearful, right? There are, the, the internet can be cruel and I am not the greatest, you know, software engineer. I am functional. I'm good. But I'm not ready to to have the internet trolls just counts my work. Maybe that's just an ego thing. Maybe I'm just fragile. But you're, I mean, if you're making it open source, you're inviting that anyway, right? Uh, that is true. And there are different, there are different ways to build in public. You don't necessarily have to say like, hey, here's everything. You know, if you're just sort of documenting and saying like, hey, this is the problem I'm solving today because, you know, I want to make uh, internet connected display that can do this thing. And this is, this is you know, like you, you mentioned uh, that it's ultra low power. Right. Like we had Matt Liberty on from Joolscope, who makes a device that you can test that. So like maybe you're spending like a couple of weeks trying to figure out how to get the, the power draw down. You mentioned like changing microcontrollers. Like that's a thing you could talk about that people might find really interesting. And then all of a sudden they're like, hey, what is Darian working on? You know, so you don't necessarily have to just like throw the code out there and say, okay, everybody rip me apart. <laughs> I know that's a great point. Like I have tested five RTCs, real-time counters, right? To find the lowest power one that serves the purposes I need. I can, I'm not an expert at RTC, but I know a lot more than I did two months ago. And that might be something worth sharing. That's a good point. I never thought about sharing, maybe sharing the journey, right? Sharing what I'm learning along the way in, in that way. That's a safe way to, to get the, the information out there. Yeah. Back to what you said before about sharing, being a subset of boards or a subset of things and sharing those with others. Based off of your experience, Harris, your experience, Sean, like, is that that five people? Is that ten people? Is that I don't think it's fifty people, but I don't. Like, at some point, the economies of scale get you know. It's easy to, to build one board or five boards with my you know with my hot air you know station. It's harder to build fifty with a hot air station. Is there is there a magic number that you see others do? There is no magic number. I wish there was. It's it's it. I mean, learning from your candle project, I think, will give you a good indication of like where that scaling starts. Um, I think when you start to sell, like if I was going to make a board, I would start by like making fifty. This is something that Spark Fun. What do they have? Spark X, I think, was the name. They're they're kind of like Skunk Works problem. They would make fifty, and depending on how well it did, it if it did well, it would be turned into a red board and a, and a full product. Um, if it didn't, they trash it. Um, so fifty seems to be a decent place to start for this type of market, this maker, engineer, tinkerer market. Um, and, and if you don't mind, I want to I mention a couple of things about going back to what you were talking about with this um, 
this public making journaling as you go. Um, there are a few places I highly recommend checking out. So hackaday.io is set up explicitly for this. Um, if you're aware of that place, um, that's a good place to journal. People will give you feedback. People can be, I don't want to say mean, but they will happily tear you apart if you make an error. Um, so if, if you're okay with like being fairly confident and like saying like, yeah, like, Hey, that's a good recommendation. I'll look into that. Or like, well, yeah, that's, that's great, but that's not what I'm going to do here. Um, like as long as you can, as long as you can traverse that, you're good. Yeah, I don't want to say mean, but they will, they will like happily pounce on anything that's not technically sound. Um, but it's a good place to learn. You can, it's a good place to like put up a potential design and welcome the feedback and say, I mean, I put up a board there a while ago. I was doing something with STM. I'm like, eh, maybe there's interest in an STM breakout of this sort that's different than the Nucleo. And nobody, everyone's like, well, why would I buy this when there's like these three other? I'm like, then I will never sell this. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and I learned, I learned very quickly that like, it's a good place. I mean, it was very few people, but it was a very good place to go to get that kind of feedback. So that's a good one. The other is social media. And you had a pretty decent following on Twitter, if I remember. I mean, I, I, mean, I don't, given that I, that I tweet, you know, twice a weekend, you know, I don't, I don't like to tweet during the week, right? Because day job and I love my work and I feel like during the week, my day job as a technology consultant, they get, they get the week, I get the weekend. So, but I, you know, I, I guess, you know, I think I could grow that up if I talked more about my projects and just talk more about technology. I, I certainly think I can, I can grow that. That's an avenue. Um, sure. And Twitter's another good place to put that. This, this concept of, of journaling as you go, in your experience, did you, did you queue up a, a set of journals and then post them over time? Or did you just, write, post, and then a week later say, okay, here's my next thing. I get concerned about journaling as I go, and then there being month-long gaps because of life and four kids and work. Scheduling can be your friend. I'm not good at it. I should be better at it. But if you can set aside some time to like journal up as... I, I prefer to do stuff in the moment, um, but I know that people who are very successful on Twitter with 10,000 plus followers generally schedule up and post like 10 times a day because they sat down like on a Saturday and scheduled up a whole bunch of stuff. Um, so that's the way to go. I'm just not good at it. Do do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> For me, my approach was a little different. I, I have basically spoken when I felt like I've had something to say. So oh there will be a gap and I'll say, hey, I've been working on the alpha version of this. I've been talking to customers. I've been maybe switching my email service provider from one thing to another. So that's what I've been up to lately. I haven't, it's not super interesting for public consumption. That's what I did. Here's what I'm talking about today. And it was fine. There was no penalty for that. I didn't find anybody angry. It's not like what I'm, what I, at least personally, what I've been working on is so interesting to people that they're like on the edge of their seat being like, when is, you know, Harris going <laughs> right. to tweet about this again? <laughs> you know? So I've, I've found that to be successful of like talking when I have something to say, I'm not trying to build a mega big audience. I think for me, my advice for you and what I've been trying to focus on is it's not about the volume of testers necessarily, but who are they? Mm -hmm. And do they have experience giving you feedback about the thing that you want feedback about? And so back at Lulzbot, when we would do new printer releases, we would do rounds and rounds of testing and we would send the printers home with employees. So we had different types of questions we wanted to answer. Like initially, the R&D did all the testing. Then employees who were kind of savvy in tech support would do testing. And then at the very end, we would have printers go home with employees and they would hand the, the box to a family member or a friend who had never used a 3D printer before. 
and they would take the quick start guide and we would have them follow it step by step and we would have the person just take notes and where they got stuck and so like those are all quality testers those are all quality sources of feedback but the question is like which feedback do you want at which stage in your development no that's a good point i i'd have to think through that it feels like now i want to ensure that it's low power and it lasts six months the goal is to build a product that lasts six months on or a lipo or, or three uh, double A's, one of the two. Um, and then number two, the functions that come out of, quote, unquote, out of the box, like the, the stuff that is open source, are those th- things people want. Like, I like calendars. I need I need, to see, I need to see my calendar. I live on my calendar. Some folks might say, I don't care about the calendar. I would rather understand how many steps I made that day. I don't know. That, that would be interesting feedback. And I think getting something out there in people's hands that is to use in their everyday life would be interesting to, to to see what they come back with. It's a good point. So you have like two tracks, right? You've got this one question, like the sort of the, the valuable feature that you believe, which is like this ultra low power lasting super long. Like that's one theme that you can talk about and one type of tester you could send it to. Uh, you know, maybe email Matt Liberty, see if he'll send you a dual scope or you can buy one or maybe you send a board to him or something like that. So that's one type of tester. Or you have these, okay, what are the use cases? Maybe, you know, what type of application, you know, is it tasks? Is it it calendar? Is it, do people want to see something about Pokemon Go? I don't know. That's a different type of question, right? And then, yeah. So so I would try to separate those out. There's like technical feedback and then there's use feedback about who really would use this. Is it like a fridge at home that they would want it or does someone want it at work? No, great points. And things, these are things I've not thought thought about, which is why I'm glad we're talking and I'm asking you, you guys questions. Uh, I would say try to stick to one, maybe two platforms or like, like, so you can collect the feedback and you want to generate an audience on that platform. And then that audience are the people who will like eventually buy into the Kickstarter ideally. Sean, let's pause here for a word from our sponsors. Let's specifically talk about their IOT offerings. And I saw a funny tweet the other day. It said the S in IOT stands for security. Yeah, so there's a big joke in the IoT world or the the hardware world, the software world, what have you, that there is no security in IoT. There is all sorts of stories and jokes about how IoT stuff is just open and people can hack it. And security is a big concern. And this is where our sponsor Twilio comes into play. They offer a number of IoT solutions and frameworks to help you build your IoT device faster. But in addition to that, build some security into it while you're at it because you have to start from the very first day thinking about security and Twilio helps you do this, just it's built into their frameworks, which can be super helpful when you're building your own IoT devices. They offer a number of things to help you deploy code to your devices over the air. They offer software frameworks to help collect data from your devices. And they even offer some dev boards to help you get started using the Electric Imp platform. They offer a number of cellular providers that you can choose from using their SuperSim which allows you to choose which provider or something like T-Mobile where you can actually use their new narrow band option to send low data rate over long distances and not have to pay as much for say like like 4G or 5G type of connection. In addition to that, they have some consulting services. So if you reach out to them, they will help you create and deploy your product, which is uh, a really cool thing for startups to be able to tap into. To learn more, go to TWIL dot io slash hello blink let's get back to the show i have posted things on, on hack a day before and i've got 
a blog that I spend no time on. Um, but the blog is mine, right? It's mine. I own it. I own the content. I can control mm-hmm. the message. I'm not lost in a sea, but I have no sea versus on half a day. There are thousands of people that go to that site every day and, and you know, follow projects and provide information. You know, based off your experience, do you think going to an established platform makes more sense, at least initially? And then do you, do people host on multiple places? You know, what have you seen others do? Uh, time permitting multiple places. Um, personally, if I was in your position, I would start with something like Hackaday. Um, assuming that's kind of the audience you're going for who yeah, might buy something like this anyway. Yeah. yeah. So I would start there because you know that's where they congregate um, rather than because it would take a while to build up your own audience. And that's where we get into like some of the top of funnel marketing stuff where it's like, hey, you need to be blogging about various concepts and things that may or may not be related to your project because nobody's searching for your project next. Uh, Nobody's searching for it on Google. So you'd have to do a lot of like SEO, uh, other content to draw people into your site, get them to sign up so that you have, you know, they come continually come back and then you start giving them like, hey, I'm working on this project. So, I mean, that's, you're talking about like a year long campaign to make that happen. Whereas somebody like Hackaday already has a pre-made audience that you can say, hey, I'm working on this thing. And they're people who maybe want to check it out anyway. And that's a good place just to get immediate feedback on something you're working on. I, I would start with that personally. Okay. Okay. No, that's, that's great feedback. You know, parallel to that, you, you guys just released, uh, at least at this time, your latest recording. You talk about YouTube videoing and, and, and building a marketing audience that way. Is, is that like, I'm a fan of the of, of blog posts. I like to read. Like reading is easier for me than, mm-hmm. than digesting videos just for me. But I don't know, like the cool kids, maybe you're doing video now. I'm not a video guy. Like, would you suggest someone in my situation make two minute videos on the journey or is it just writing stuff up or do you think it matters? Uh, I will tell you no. Um, <laughs> I don't think it matters. Um, I, I, I like to give uh, I, many marketers out there will probably disagree with me and saying like, you got to be doing everything, but I think your time is the single most important thing that you have. And I, I liken uh, inbound marketing strategy to like an ice cream sundae and written content, at least as of right now, is kind of like your ice cream. Without it, you still don't have much. Um, video content is like your sprinkles and your hot fudge. And like it can make it an amazing ice cream sundae if you have got this embedded content and you're doing live events and you've got this pre-made video. They can help make the ice cream sundae better. But without ice cream, it's still not a sundae. <laughs> so I would say video content should be your primary focus. You should still focus on that, especially if that's what you're most comfortable with. Also, it's way easier to produce. Um, I, would, I would focus on making... Yeah, written content, not video. Video, you have to like spend like 10 times the amount of effort to create a video to cover the same amount of stuff. Um, eventually, we may get there where video reigns supreme and also indexing. Um, Google still kind of struggles with indexing videos. You have to like write the descriptions and make it appropriate. And it's indexed a little differently than how like Google pages are. Um, and you've got the pre-made audience in YouTube, but that's still a wash with so many people watching it and so many videos coming out that like it's not a targeted audience to begin with anyway. Um so unless you particularly enjoy video content, I would stick to written. And the only thing I would add to that is like photos, get good photos of your stuff that can make it compelling. And it can, it can be an iPhone. Just be aware of like lighting. That's all. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think I need photos for the product. I think I need photos for me. Cause my, <laughs> uh, someone told me at least that people want to buy from people they like. I find that to be true in consulting my day job. Absolutely. And people buy from my company because they believe in our technology services. And they also like the people that they work with. I, I don't know if that's, I don't know if a personal story matters so much for something like this. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. 
I, I think it helps. I absolutely think it helps. Harris, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I would say, you know, this is similar to the product investments. I would do low cost investments in marketing and see how they work. Uh, and then as you get feedback and as it feels like you're getting traction, increase your spend. Um, I worked with a startup in the past that had raised $10 million. They spent a substantial amount of money on these incredibly high quality videos. Uh, I mean, they like, they probably could like air in a movie theater and look good. They're probably like 8K. I don't even know. You know, it was like everything. It was, they were perfect. But the content was very unsuccessful because they weren't necessarily saying things that they knew people wanted. Like the thing with the the VC route is that you're in stealth mode and you raise all this money and then you try to like have this big sort of reveal or at least uh, recently it's been the case. And it's like, you don't have the cash, I assume, unless you're like independently wealthy, you don't have the cash to like be hiring all these content creators and like doing this like big reveal, guessing whether or not people will even care about it. So like by doing written content or tweets or just cell phone, simple things, you can sort of get feedback and then you, and then you double down. Okay, this is working. I'm going to do more of that. So that, that, yeah, I would say like your marketing strategy can mirror your product strategy, I think, because they're both born of a function of your bootstrapping, right? And that means that you can be really confident on your return on investment. Every dollar you spend, you can be really confident how it's being spent. Yes, yes. You know, you know, free and low cost, high quality, low cost, you know, high reach, low cost is, is the name of the game right now. So, um, so that's, that's good feedback. Just, gosh, I got so much to think about now. Like, I don't know how people do it. Like, I, I just want to go back and finish working on the engineering and the firmware, but now I've got to go... I got to do that and then write about it, blog about it. And <laughs> just like, goodness gracious, hardware is hard. Selling stuff is hard. Uh, yeah. And if it, if it, I don't know if this helps or make your, makes your life worse, but uh, there's the ancillary stuff of doing inbound too. So like you're, you were talking about working with different RTCs and learning about them. So like an absolute prime example of a great inbound blog post would be like, how to get started with an RTC or which RTC should I choose or something like that? Because any of those how to's generally perform very, very well on Google. And those will bring people into, I think it's easier to get them into like your personal blog for that. But that that's one option, right? The other option is to stick to like Twitter where you can like maybe break that up and talk about it um, and using appropriate hashtags or maybe talk about it on like Hackaday.io in part of your project. There's a few ways to do it, but that's mm. like primo content right there. It just, you're right, it takes time. <laughs> I guess I, I never thought about it. Like, I guess to me, like everyone knows what RTCs are and how to choose the right one. I mean, there's some things I've, I've gone through five, but maybe, maybe you're right. I guess I've never thought about that. I just kind of feel like- You have more experience than I do in RTCs. I've used like two in my whole life. Oh, oh, oh my goodness. I could talk about how you get them for- as an investment for free, how you do like, oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> so you have a bunch of content right there. Like that's the thing. You got to put yourself in the mind of somebody who might be searching this or a beginner and like that'll get people in. And then so the idea is like that's now top of funnel. How do you get them to like follow you or check out your other projects? And then you're like, oh, by the way, I'm working on this, you know, this this uh, sticky LCD display. And they're like, oh, well, that's really cool. Like that's the funnel that we all that Harris and I always talk about. Um, so you have, you have to think about that. Like, how do I get them in? How do I do this? Where you are, I would start with that. Let's just document the project and get that feedback. Because if you... If you're going to find out you need to pivot because people don't like it or they want features, now's the time to learn that. That makes sense versus the big reveal at the end. That's exactly right. Exactly. Because you're the CEO, right? How easy is it in general for people 
outside of a company to contact the engineers within a company Minus. in general, in general, in your experience, my experience, it's very difficult. I, I, Many I, engineers don't yeah. have phones. Yeah. So you're, you're engineering, but you're also your own CEO. And, and the reason why companies make it hard to contact engineering, and I can say this because I've spent like years and many, many, many hours selling into engineering departments with my clients and stuff. They don't want people to be able to set the agenda wrongly for them. They want it to be really clear what the engineering team is working on because it's so important. And you know this in your technology work professionally with your clients. Like, you know, so you need to protect your roadmap. And the way you protect your roadmap partially is by getting information from the outside world to make sure that you don't build features that you don't need. In order for something to get approved, quote unquote, and sent to engineering, in other words, for you to work on it, you need to be confident that like, this is a thing people are going to want. Like ultra low power. Yes. Take it to the bank. 100% people are going to want that. Like Jeff Bezos talks about always investing in things that customers will want. Customers will always want their packages to arrive sooner. Amazon will invest in that 10 days out of 10, right? There's never a time where a customer says, oh, ship it to me in a month or, or longer. Similarly, like your ultra low power, that's a feature where like you can work on that with no reservation, no worries, no shame. But what about the other ones? Like, is Google Calendar the most important? I don't know. Maybe it should sync with Google Tasks, actually. Like, that's where you, you want to be careful because while you're a really good engineer, that's almost a risk, because you could figure out the API, you could write those things, but should you? You know, here, here's that's a great point, and and you, you, your comment brought up another question. How would you, if you were doing this, test the price? I mean, would you just simply ask people? So you bring up the low power thing, right? Low power is a key driver, but getting nano amps costs more than getting micro amps, right? Like what? Like I can build a super duper low power device. That's $100, and that's not – cost, right? That's not going to sell. Nobody wants to buy $200 on a smartphone. Um, I don't think it is. Um, how would you – if you were doing something like this, how would you get ideas on the, on the cost? I would start by looking at competition. So you mentioned the MagTag. I would take a look at that to see kind of what people are buying, um, see, gauge the popularity of that, um, the price of that. Um, I've always kind of used a 4X markup as a baseline. That was actually based on um, Lamore Freed's post many, many years ago where she talks about creating these electronic kits and electronics for, for makers. Um, and she talks about, like, I look at my bomb and I consider 2X for the distributor price and then another 2X on top of that for my uh, reseller. Um, uh, I think I got that right. Wholesale price versus distributor. That's, that's yeah, I think I got those backwards. So you generally look at, at 4X. Now you can play with those. You can definitely go down to like 2X if it's like, you know, small quantity or something and you control it and you take all the profits. Um, and I've seen things go as high as like five, six, seven, you know, luxury items are like 10, 15, 20X because it's a name brand. Um, but 4X for electronics is, for, for these maker type products is a good starting place. And then play with that, right? If you have all these crazy low power stuff that you're talking about, and it's going to be like, well, that's a $25 bomb. And then now we're looking at $100, give or take. I don't know if people are going to buy that. But if you can be like, uh, you know what, it lasts three weeks instead of four, but now it's $50. Like, okay, well, that's, that's a little bit better. That's a great point. And you can, you can always ask people, but you also have to assume that people are going to act in their best interest and be like, I'm not paying for that. When in like, when then maybe presented, they'll like pay 50 bucks for it. You like, that's a hard one. Got it. No, that's a great, that's great feedback. Thought about that, but maybe not that, 
that way. And, and I have thought about what Lamora said. She's she uses this 1.5 to two and then the 1.5 times two for, for both kind of kind of set. So I'm playing between the three and the four X range now to see. But um, but no, that's uh that's good. But it's two questions, right? For price, because you said, well, what feature set? And that's going to put you, and then you have a multiple on top of that. But there is the first question of, if I have these features, the price is going to be in this band of whatever, 10 to $25. But then if I load up these features on top of that, the bomb is going to be a hundred bucks, right? So those are kind of two different, um, different questions that, again, like listening to users, who is interested, you may find that there are some like professional engineers who are responsible for building, you know, um, like things in factories and stuff like that, who say like, actually, you know, we could use this kind of display at work. I, you know, I work for some w- widget maker. Um, so maybe you have like multiple models. Mm, interesting. Where, you know, you can have some price discrimination in in the sort of economic sense of the term, where if one person's willing to pay a lot more, that you charge them more and you build in more. Like car companies do this really well, right? Um the different models or the the different versions within a model. Yeah, because you may find that. I mean, this product sounds really interesting. I could imagine professional like manufacturing environment uses for a product like this. And maybe they want it to sync to Trello or Asana or something. I don't I don't know. Yeah. Maybe they want something in offices. Assume we go back we go back to offices, you know, is is the conference room booked or not? Or who's the up now? Yeah, no, there's there's a great point. There's certainly other uses to it. I'm only thinking through. My initial desire was when I wake up in the morning, I want to know what I've got scheduled for the day. And when I go to bed at night, I want to know that I have hit my stop goal <laughs> and not have my phone. Like I'd like to be in my bathroom and have it on my mirror and see it or whatever. Yeah. And this is something where like you can go to Hackaday.io, you can chronicle the build, and at various points you can either tweet or or ask on Hackaday.io and just be like, hey, for people who are following this project, assuming you get some followers, what would you guys use this for? Like, Because people will say like, hey, this is a really cool thing. I would use it for XYZ or you can prompt them to do that. And then that starts to get to what Harris was talking about where it's like, oh, it seems like there's more of an industrial use case for this. So maybe I should pursue getting CE and FCC certifications, putting it in an enclosure and charging $200 for it because factories will pay that much for something like that. Great point. I mean, I guess I just need to get it out there and start talking about it and see what people say. Yeah. And you may need to pivot. Like part of this is learning and pivoting, but like people don't want it for X, Y, and Z, which is what I assumed, but people seem to be interested in this part of it. So Mm -hmm. I might want to consider pursuing that. So be open to learning and feedback from people um, when you put it out there. I know we're we're starting to get short on time. Is there anything else that that you would tell me that I should be thinking about or doing? (laughs) Harris is thinking hard here. Uh, I, I think the big thing is like, chronicling what you're doing right now to to see if there's interest that's the absolute biggest thing like i've had a couple of projects where i like chronicled them and like there was no interest i'm like i'm just not going to pursue this project because nobody seems to care um so so like build an audience and see if there's interest and then sell to that audience is kind of like the three steps um and even if you don't have a presence on like hackaday io that's a good place to go for something like this and just start putting it out there and just updating it and then tweeting out because you've got almost a thousand followers on Twitter. So that's a good place to be like, Hey, I updated my project on IO. Here's the, you know, a two sentence overview, click to check it out. And you can drive people there from your Twitter feed and you can start hopefully getting some comments to see if people care, if people want it. Okay. Okay. Trust me. If people want, if people want it on Hackaday IO, they'll be like, where can I buy this? I've seen that happen a few times. They will be like, I want to buy this now. Okay. Okay. 
that that sounds like my my weekend activity. Sweet. Yeah, that's definitely where I would start. And the next question I would ask as you're thinking through that is sort of what's the vision for, I mean, it's scratching your own itch is a really good way to decide to start working on something because you understand this space very well. You are a hardware engineer. You work with these things all the time. You know all the details of this. And the fact that you have this problem, it is extremely likely that at least one other person on the planet has this problem. In fact, probably hundreds, if not thousands, if not tens of thousands of engineers who might be interested in something like this. So you're starting out from a really good place and you've got all the background knowledge and you know how to make it work. And and so the biggest thing, like when starting on something is like, if you're scratching your own itch, no matter what happens, you'll have it, you'll be happy, that's great. But you may find other people are getting interested in it. Then the question is like, what do I want to do from here? Because hardware is very easily commoditized. So if you're finding there's some interest and maybe you want it to be something more, you you said you love your job, so you keep your job, but maybe you just want this to be more of a thing. You'll need to start thinking about like the brand, maybe building out like really well-documented APIs. Like what's the reason why people will choose this display so they can continue to support you working on it so that it can be a thing in the future? Or you may say people are interested and I don't care if you can buy a hundred on you know Alibaba for 10 cents. That's fine. Like clone away, this will be my contribution to the world. And whenever someone sees this display, you know, the cool engineer in the room will say, Darian made that beautiful <laughs> display. Okay. You know, but nobody else will know the difference. And then that'll be your sort of claim to fame. And then one day, you know, you'll you'll be on some like cool thing and you'll be like, oh, by the way, I invented the, <laughs> you know, blah, blah display. So as you start getting traction, think about what's your moat. What what can you do so that you, this project can be financially self-sustaining? Whether that's moving, you know, with these professional bundling that we talked about with enclosures and FCC and C certification, or if it's API documentation, or and and that doesn't mean you need to turn it into a business, but there is a risk of it being commoditized in the marketplace. So know that that's as you share, that can happen no matter what. And Nate, Nate Seidel has a great talk about this with open source where people, you know, the, the saying is like, oh, well, you know, I, I, it's a whole TED talk about it. You should look it up. We put it in the show notes. But the idea is basically like people will copy bad ideas that don't make money and that shouldn't have been made in the first place or whatever. So you might as well just open source everything. <laughs> you know? And so it's like if you start sharing it, um, just know that you're um, shortening the timeline. Right. That that at some point someone's going to see it and say we should we should commoditize that thing. Okay, okay. So I would think about that as it's getting traction. What's next? You you have to think like way ahead of where the board is, basically. I see why it's so hard to do this in like have a day job. <laughs> Holy smokes! This is good. This is good. This is giving me a lot to think about. Um, I've I've got. Uh, this is good. This, this, this is not, uh, this has been really helpful. I have not thought through some of these problems and challenges and opportunities. So I've, uh, I've got a lot to chew on here. Excellent. Yeah. I'm glad it's helpful. Uh, anything else, anything else before we close out here? No, I just, again, really appreciate, um, you guys having me on. Hopefully others will find this interesting. If not, well, you know, that's okay. There's some really other good interviews in this podcast series. So it's your first time. Like, if Darian sucks, that's okay. There's a lot of good other other content on this podcast. Um, I'm sure you're not the only person who's had those questions. So these were good. No, and great. Yeah, and I love what you guys are doing. Like, as someone, like, 
uh, there's podcasts for people who want to start their own company. I don't necessarily start my own company, but technical people who want to build something. Like, that's me. So I really appreciate what you guys are doing and, um, and looking forward to, to seeing what you guys are doing this year. Uh, and before we log off, I will definitely say you should start your own company, at least protect yourself via an LLC so that if, yeah, Fair enough. Yes. <laughs> sell through the LLC, don't sell through yourself. I will say you probably want to start your own company, even if it's just like one or two people who have like, you know, legal protections, but definitely get an LLC if you don't have one. Got it. Fair enough. I, I do for the pillar product. Pillar is an LLC. Um, that's, that's covered there. But for, for this personal hobby, I should probably create Darian Johnson LLC or something like yeah. that. You put in your name, whatever. That way you just at least at least have some sort of legal protections. If something happens with this and you go to sell it, you don't have to worry about it until you sell it. But as soon as you sell it, it becomes a it might become a problem. Like if somebody like tries to sue or something, you want that LLC yes, protection. Absolutely. Absolutely. OK. Another thing to do. There you go. All right. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you have a good weekend and uh, uh, I will watch your Twitter page for hopefully some for some updates. Yes, I I, I will be tweeting away, appropriately tweeting. If you make a place where you are chronicling this, let us know. We'll make sure to include it in the show notes. Okay, I'll do that. Awesome. We can find you on Twitter at Darian B. Johnson, but where else? You said you have a blog. Where else can people follow your work? I, I do. So I've started a new blog, uh, newish, three or four months old. It's called Darian Makes. DarianMakes.com. And it's just where I'm putting all my maker projects. And I, I'm slowly consolidating all of my projects between Hexter, Hack a Day, and Instructables and trying to find a landing page for everything. So I've got maybe 10 on there now, and I'll probably add the other 10 or 15 over the next few months. Sounds good. Yeah, we'll make sure that's in the show notes as well. Well, Darian, thank you so much for being on the show. I hope lots of listeners out there get something good out of this. And especially if they're having questions like, how do I sell to this maker market? Because it's a tricky one. It is. It is. No, thank you guys so much. We'll, uh, we'll see where it goes. Sounds good. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and share the show. Let us know what you think on Twitter at HelloBlinkShow. Find show notes at HelloBlinkShow.com. The Hello Blink Show is shared under a CC by 4.0 license by Skull Riza LLC and Kenny Consulting Group LLC. The intro and outro music is Routine by Amin Maxwell and is shared under a CC BY 3.0 license. This song can be found at soundcloud.com slash Amin Maxwell slash routine.